Here we go. If you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 6. We're continuing our series we've called One, where we're looking at one verse to see one truth. And one of the things we've challenged you uh, with is memorizing these. These are good verses to memorize, important verses to memorize, and so hope you have been on that. Uh, and one thing Ryan's done for us is sent out on our Facebook group each week a, uh, a picture that you can put on your lock screen or home screen of your phone. So every time you open your phone to look at Facebook, you'll first see the verse and help you memorize it. So uh, this, uh, this is another one that is good to memorize, a foundational verse. And so uh, we're going to dig into that this morning. The most important thing that we do every week is open this book and read these words because these are the very words of God. No matter if they're in Genesis, all the way through to Revelation, we said in week one they should all be read because they're all the words of Christ. So let me read this. John 14, verse six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would give us great attention. We pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive a word from you. We pray that you would uh, enlighten us, that you would challenge us, encourage us, step on our toes a little bit, and uh, move us out of our comfort zone. God, we love you. We pray we would hear from you this morning in Christ. And we pray all as people said... Amen. The more amens you get, the shorter the sermon. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. Hey. All right. So, you know, do you guys remember, you guys don't, but most of you probably remember the time before GPS came out, right? So before we had GPSs and, and, and before, you know, those ones you'd get the suction cup and put on your window, before even that time where you had your Garmin or your TomTom, before that time when you wanted to go somewhere and you didn't know how to get there, you had to ask for directions, Right, and so, or you open a map, which seems crazy, but uh, you know, you would ask someone. Someone would give you directions, right, and uh, and they would write them down on a piece of paper, or you'd write them down. Okay, turn left, blah, 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 right, and you would have to use that to get to where you need to go. And and if a if a man, if a guy gave you those directions, it was probably something like you know, leave head east out of your house. Right and uh, go 5.2 miles, turn right on the bypass, and then take a left on a 71 northbound for 2.3 miles, take exit seven, and then go west. You know, it'd be all kind of like that. But if a woman gave you directions, it was going to be more like you know, turn left out of your house, uh, go about five minutes, and turn right at the big tree right there. And uh, if you hit the train tracks, you've gone too far. About the time you, you hit them. And so that's what directions used to be like when before GPS. And if you have a GPS, maybe this has happened to you now where you, you just put all your faith and trust in your phone or in the GPS and you just put it in and it knows. Sometimes it reroutes you and it knows about stuff ahead of you that you can't see and you just trust, yeah, we should go this way. Right? But sometimes you put that in your GPS and you're, you're trying to get to Kroger's with an S on it that doesn't exist, and you're trying to go to Kroger, and, and, and you pull up somewhere, and you're like, all I see is trees. I'm not even in civilization anymore. How did it take me here to this place? 
right? And, and you're just completely lost and you put all your trust in this thing and it didn't get you where you needed to go. You see, if you want to get where you need to go, the directions being accurate and right are vitally important. And you understanding that direction is vitally important. You got to know where you want to go and then you got to know the directions on how to actually get there. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The context, which we said is important, of our verse this morning is in response to a question. Jesus has just told his disciples some troubling news that he is leaving them. And they're all like, what do you mean you're leaving? What are you talking about? He says he's leaving them. And the disciples, these guys who have given their whole lives to Jesus, are freaking out a little bit. They don't really like that idea. They, they think that Jesus is saying that he's going to you know, go to Rome or go to wherever, and he's going to go establish his kingdom. That he's going to go take out the Romans. He's going to put his kingdom down, his throne down, and establish it. And they're like, no, Jesus, we want to be with you when that happens. And so that's kind of what they're thinking. And they're like, Jesus, we have no idea where you're going. And he tells them, he tells them that, that they can, they're going to come to him. Right, we're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna, you get to come with me. And he says, you know the way. And they're like, we don't know the way, Jesus. You're going to Rome. You're going to Ephesus. Where are you going? You're going to Jerusalem. Where are you going? And so they don't know the way. And so Thomas speaks up for the rest of the disciples, and he asks this question. Lord, we don't know where you're going, and so we also don't know the way. And our verse this morning is Jesus' response to that question, which is essentially, Jesus, where are you going and how do we get there? Where are you going and how do we get there? Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where is Jesus going and how do we get there? The first, so we're going to walk through the verse. We're just going to break it down, okay? And so first thing we see is he says, I am. And one error we make when we read our Bibles is that we read them way too fast. And we go really quickly and we skip over things and we miss things uh, because we're trying to find this low-hanging fruit, real quick things that we want to grab because our world is moving so fast. But what we find when we slow down and dig into the text is that even the beginning of a verse like this that says, I am, is important. This phrase, I am, it seems just the words that are supposed to get us to the thing that's important are actually important. When he says, I am, he's telling us something. In the Greek, it is the, the phrase, ego, a me. And in, if you didn't know this, there is a translation of the Old Testament, which is normally in Hebrew, that is actually in Greek, called the Septuagint. And if you look in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you will find this phrase, ego, a me, somewhere very particularly important. In the Old Testament, you remember that story where Moses uh, is, sees this giant burning bush one day, and it's God in the burning bush, and he's telling him to go tell Pharaoh, who has enslaved Israel, his people, go tell the Pharaoh, the king, to let my people go. All right, y'all know this story? And, and, and Moses is, is worried about that, and he says, well, who shall I tell them sent me? What does God say? In the burning bush, he says, Tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that I am sent you, that I am who I am, and I shall be who I shall be. He says, tell them, ego a me sent me, sent you. And so when Jesus 
He does this seven times in the book of John when Jesus comes and he says, I am. And he uses the exact phrase, ego a me. He is saying something more than just I am the way. He is reminding them that you remember when, Mo, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And, and do you remember the name that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh that I, my name? Do you remember the name that I told him to tell him was my name? He says, I am. Jesus in that moment is saying, I am the same God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush who stands before you now. I am one and the same. I stand before you now as that guy. You see, the first thing that we need to understand, if we are going to know where Jesus is going and how we get to there, what are the directions to get there, we must understand who Jesus is. And he is not merely sent from God. He is not merely like God. He is fully God. He is the I am of the Old Testament. He is Yahweh. He is the I am. So he says, I am the way. He says, I am the way. And in a way, Jesus is immediately answering Thomas's question. How do you get there? Thomas asked. And Jesus is telling him, through me. Through me. I am the way, which is not the answer Thomas was looking for, right? Like Thomas is not thinking that. He's thinking, I was thinking more like Route 66, Route 7, Highway 42. Like, like, just tell me the road. Tell me the path I need to take to get there. Tell me some signs or some some landmarks. Tell me what the destination is. Maybe I already know how to get there. Uh, But tell me where you're going. And Jesus says, I'm the way. And it's like, what? I don't understand. But isn't that how we are with God so often? That we ask questions of God and, uh, and we expect the answer to be something that we kind of already pretty much know. We just need him to kind of be a little specific. Right? Like we ask God a question and we kind of really think the answer is somewhere in here and he's just going to kind of make it, you know, particular. And usually what God does is say, no, actually the answer's over here. You completely misunderstood everything. <laughs> And that's exactly what Jesus is doing to Thomas. It's like you, have, you don't understand the question that you're even asking. You don't understand the destination, and you don't understand how to get there. Jesus' answer is completely different than we expected. It's in a different category all to itself. He wasn't talking about a physical place that they could follow him to. He wasn't saying he was going to Rome. The disciples didn't understand that. It made no sense to him. It made no sense to them. So to understand the directions to get there, you first have to understand the destination. What is the destination? Where is Jesus going that through him somehow you get there? The end of our verse makes it clear where they're going. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the place Jesus is headed is to the Father's side. He is going to God, the Father himself. And our goal, our trajectory as followers of Jesus is not merely heaven. It is the one to which heaven and earth are all about. God the Father. That's the the point of forgiveness, the point of the cross, the point of following Jesus is, is to get to the end of getting to know God. That you and I, sinful as we are, get to have this intimate, personal, deep, connected relationship with the God of the universe. 
we get to know him. And, and I think sometimes that we miss that, right? Because we get so busy and we do so much religious stuff and so much church stuff, which is good stuff that we sometimes forget that the whole point of this is that we get to know God. That we get to know him intimately and personally. That the deepest, most beautiful marriage is but a glimmer of the picture of the way you get to know God. I think we got to take that in and understand that and realize that. that that's the point. And, and when you realize that, you realize that the Bible is really a, is a, a story about coming home. The whole Bible is really this one story about coming home. It's our story about how you and I have ran away from home, that we've forsaken our true identity. We've left our father. It's a story about how we try to get back to God over and over and over again. But what we find in our attempts to get back to God is that the path is blocked, that the road is blocked. And no matter how much we fight, no matter how much we try to climb over it, we can't get past the blockage in the road to make it to God on our own. We can't fix the mess we've caused. We can't right the wrongs we have done. No matter what we do, the way it is blocked, we can't get there. It's like trying to go to downtown Lebanon right now, and every turn you take, every back road you take, there's construction signs saying, no entry. I was trying to go get ice cream the other day, and it was like, nope, can't go that Nope, can't go that way. Nope, can't go that way. And that's what our life is like. Every time we try to get to God on our own, there is a blockage there. We can't do it. It's cut off. In the Old Testament, God taught his people, the Israelites, this through a physical example over and over and over again for thousands of years. That in the temple, the place where God lived, right? Here's the giant temple, and uh, you could go in, but then God lived in the backside, and there was this giant piece of fabric called a veil, and you couldn't go past it. And it was this constant reminder for thousands of years that you do not have access to God. You can't get back there. You can't know him. Now, a priest can go on your behalf once a year to make sure your sins are forgiven, but you can't know him. He's unknowable. He's on the other side of the veil. That's how it was. But when Jesus comes and he says, I am the way, When Jesus comes and he says, I am the way, he has come to fix that problem. Do you know what happened after Jesus comes and he he goes to the cross and he dies and he pays the penalty for our sin and he's crucified and killed? Do you know what happens in that exact moment? The Bible says that that veil in the temple that blocked our access to God in that moment was ripped from top to bottom and split open for God telling the whole world, now you can know me. Now you can come in. There's nothing in your way anymore. Come into me. You can have me. Come on in. We get to know him now. Jesus is the way. He has made the way to know God. There's no more barriers, no more blockage. The street signs that say closed are gone. That symbol for a thousand years has been torn down. So if you want to be loved, if you want to be known by God, there is nothing in your way. All of your past mistakes, all of your present failures, and all of your future screw-ups that you have not even done yet have already been paid for through the blood of Jesus and access to God as yours. 
Jesus is telling his disciples, you can have the one person your heart has always longed for, but you cannot get there by following some road or some path. You can't get there on your own. The only way to get there is through me. Jesus is telling us that he himself is the way in. Jesus was saying, I'm going somewhere that the only possible way for you to come along with me is if you go through me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not the map. I'm not the GPS. I'm the vehicle that takes you. I can't just give you directions on how to get there. You've got to go through me. See, you can't walk the path. That's really what he's telling them. Like you can't do the path. You can't go to the cross. You can't take the wrath. You can't pay the punishment. You can't raise from the dead. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it if you're in me. You see, knowing that Jesus is this great I am of the Old Testament, knowing that Jesus is God, very God, matters because the only way we can get to God is if God were to come down and get us. Did you know that every other religion in the world, every single one of them, the basic premise of that religion is if you do A, B, and C, you can have paradise. If you do A, B, C, D, and E, and F, or whatever the things are, if you do these things, you can have paradise, you can have nirvana, you can go to God, you can make your way up there, you can be reincarnated, uh, you can have 40 virgins in paradise, you can have whatever if you do A, B, and C. But only Christianity says there are not enough letters in the alphabet of things that you could do to ever make your way there. But God instead came down and made a way. God came down and didn't expect you to do anything, but rather took you, put him on his back, and carried us back up with him. It is the only religion in the world that says you can't do it, but God loves you so much that he'll come down and do it for you. You see, the God who called himself I am, who sent Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt, is the same God who came himself to rescue us from the slavery of sin so that we could once again walk with God in paradise. So the destination is that we're going to be with God and to know him as Father, and the way we get there is through Jesus. So he continues, he says, I am the way and the truth. Do you remember uh, after President Trump was elected, uh, on his inauguration day, he was... uh, talking about how big the crowd was at his inauguration. And, and I think he said, you know, it, it was the biggest crowd at any inauguration ever. It was huge, right? And uh, some people came back at that and they said, here's some pictures. It wasn't the biggest ever. Uh, you know, there weren't a lot of people there or whatever. And uh, one of his spokespeople said, no, it was. It was the biggest ever, you know, whatever. Well, uh, Kellyanne Conway, res- being criticized about this, responded and she said, that it was not a falsehood to say what uh, Sarah said, that it was the biggest crowd ever. It wasn't a falsehood. She said she presented alternative facts, alternative facts. You see, we live in a time where we use phrases like, man, just speak your truth. Speak your truth. Where we say things like, you know, it's just true for me. We say things like uh, alternative facts, We live in a society where we think truth is something that is malleable, that can change, and that truth is what you make of it. 
That something can be true for you, but not for me. And so you have Oprah Winfrey telling the world that follow your truth to God, that if you get to God this way, that's great. And if he gets to God that way, then that's great, whatever, you know. If you get to get to God by playing golf on Sunday, then good for you. And if you get to God by reading a book, well, good for you. And if you get to God by being a good person, well, good for you. But the one thing that our society hates and will not stand for is the idea that someone would stand up and say, no, that is false, that is wrong, that won't work, that won't do, you don't get to God that way, that is wrong. And our society hates that. They say, no, no, that's their truth. If they get to God that way, then who are you to tell them they can't get there that way? Well, I may not be the person to tell them they can't get there, but Jesus is. He says, I am the way and the truth. And Jesus is saying, not that he's just telling the truth, but he himself is the truth, that he is the source of truth, that he embodies truth, that he's not an alternative fact. He's not one way. He is the single, only truth and way that there is. And if you don't like that, it doesn't matter. And if you have another truth, it doesn't make it true. Just because you believe something is true doesn't make it such. He is the truth. He is absolute truth. And we have an option. We can either look at him and his claims to be the only way to God, his claim to be the way to God, his claim to be the truth, and we can say yes and amen, I believe that and accept that, or we can say no, I reject that. I think there are many truths. But what we cannot do is ignore him. He says, I am the way and the truth, and then he says, I am the life. Our whole lives are really a journey to discover the destination. Every, I mean, if you, look, if you just slow down and kind of look around at people and, and kind of examine and watch people and what they do, our whole life is this journey to discover true life. We're all looking for the, for the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment in a life. We want to have full life, right? It's why so many movies and books and TV shows speak about finding the purpose of life and the meaning of life. It's why so many fairy tales uh, speak of, uh, of trying to find ways to have eternal life, right? How to live forever, go drink from the fountain of youth. Because we long to have life and we look for it in all the wrong places, right? Like we look for it in relationships. We look for it in career success. We look for it in money. We look for it in popularity. We look for it all over the place. And it always gives us this hint of life, like, oh, maybe that's the good life, right? Like we have this picture in our mind and we can picture it. If I could just have this good life that I imagined in my head, it'll be great. And you know, there's a tire swing in the front yard and a red door and there's three kids running around and, and, and there's this beautiful woman and there's this really in shape man that's me and I've got this six pack and, and there's a four car garage and there's all these cars and there's a boat and, and, and we're just sipping on margaritas, sitting back on the porch. Oh, Sorry, we're Baptists. We don't drink margaritas, sir. Um, but you have this picture in your mind of what the good life is. And you and your heart believe, man, if I got to that vision of the good life, 
boy, will I have arrived. But what Jesus is telling us here is that he is life. And the only way you arrive at the good life is to arrive at him. Does it mean cars are bad or money's bad or houses are bad or having a good looking woman's bad or having a six pack is bad? It means that true life is bound up in Jesus and everything else is a counterfeit. You see, he's the source of life. And it's interesting, you know, he says this to his disciples knowing that in days he is going to die. In just days, he is going to be crucified and put to death. But how can that be if Jesus is the source of life? Wouldn't if he died, he would lose that. But think about this. There is so much life bound up in Jesus, the source of life, so much life bound up in him that that even though he died, the death could not undo the life that was in him. Death could not end his life. Think about that. Death could not end the life that is in Jesus. Think about that. Death could not end life that was in Jesus. It could not undo it. There is so much life in him, death could not stop it. And the disciples don't get that. That's that's why after Jesus dies, they don't see the resurrection coming. They're not around waiting for him to come back to life. They miss it. They miss the fact that there's so much life bound up in Jesus that death couldn't hold him. So here's the thing, if you are in Christ, when death comes for you, it can't touch you. If you are in Christ, death doesn't have the last word because all of the life that is bound up in him becomes yours. And and he says later that though you die, yet shall you live. You see, in Jesus, you can have a life as it was always meant to be had. You can have the abundant life that it was always meant to be had, and you can have it forever. But what he is telling us is that there is only one way to get it. There's only one way to get there. And he ends this verse by saying, really saying again what he said at the beginning, but in a different way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. My last point, it's probably the most important thing. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, I've already shown you that Jesus said he is the way to God, the only way to God. But he understands our hearts, and so I think he gives us this other little spin of it. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the thing about this room right now. Most everyone in this room would say, yes, Jesus is the only way. Yes, Muhammad will not get you to God. Gandhi will not get you to God. Buddha will not get you to God. Every one of us in this room would go, yes and amen, and we could stand and clap and cheer for those things. But this is a truth that we not only need to press into other people who think that there may be some other way to God, this is a truth that we need to feel the weight of in our own lives because every one of us in this room right now at different times in different ways, practically, we believe that there is another way to God. You in this room believe that there's another way to God other than Jesus. And what you believe in the deepest parts of your heart is that you can get there on your own. You believe that your goodness and your church going is enough 
that here, here's the thing that terrifies me. Let me just tell you this. One day when you stand before God and God looks at you and, 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 and he's not really going to do this, but if, if he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you in here? And if we begin to kind of feel the pressure to, to give a good answer, my fear is, is that the thing that we'd want to answer with is, well, Jesus, I went on that mission trip. Well, Jesus, I tithed every week. Jesus, I went to church. Jesus, I did this. Jesus, I lived a really good life. I was a good person. I took care of people. I was generous. I wasn't bad like some of those other people I knew. I was a good person. My fear is that we would answer with anything that begins with the letter I. Because the Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen, that he would look at us and say, depart from me for I never knew you. And in that passage, what do they say? But Jesus, I did this, I did this, I did that. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. See, there is, there's really two kinds of people in this room right now. There are those of you who are followers of Jesus, but there are times in your life where you struggle feeling forgiven. Right? You've got some stuff in your past or in your present that you've done, and you struggle feeling like you and God are good because how could he ever forgive me for these things? And, and what you're doing wrong in your mind and heart is you are looking at yourself and your own performance and not the performance of Jesus given to you on the cross. And you are judging your relationship with God based on what you have done, and you need to apply the gospel and believe it because you're saved, you're his, and you need to rest in that. But there are some of you in this room and you believe in God? You, believe, you probably believe Jesus was a real. But there is a settled belief in your heart that you, you haven't come with your hands open saying, Jesus, I bring nothing to this table. I need you to deliver me, save me, rescue me. I need everything that you have to give me because I bring nothing. You haven't done that because in your heart you actually believe you, could, you wouldn't necessarily say this, but deep down you think, man, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I should get into heaven because I'm pretty good. What the Bible tells us again and again is that pretty good is not good enough. I always ask kids when I'm talking with them about being baptized, I'll say, how many sins would it take for God to send you to hell? And they always tell me, oh, a lot of sins. And I have to always tell them it takes one. And they always look at me like with this terrifying face. Because I know they've done at least one. Because every one of us in this room are unworthy of heaven. And it is miracles of miracles that Jesus would come and pay the price that we needed to pay and make the way. Because the way is in him alone. It's not him plus being a good person. It's not him plus penance. It's not him plus anything. It's him alone. Only when you come with open hands saying, Jesus, I got nothing. I need you to rescue me. Only then. And, and you know what he'll do? He won't look at you and say, well, go clean your life up a little bit, then we'll talk. He doesn't do that. He says, welcome home. He says, welcome home. Oh, how I've missed you. Oh, how I've longed for you to finally come. See, every one of us in this room is either lost or was lost at one time. 
and we needed Jesus to come and rescue us. See, Jesus entered our story. He entered our story and he became uh, the way. He is the truth and he is life. And life is being offered to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, life is being offered to you. You don't have to wait till you die to get it. You get it now. You can have abundant life now. But if you're not his, life is being offered to you. The absolute truth is being offered to you. And the way to know God, not as some cosmic God in the air, but as Father, it's being offered to you. And the question I have for you this morning, I don't care how long you've been in church here. I don't care uh, if you say you believe in God. My question to you is, is if you come to Jesus with hands open saying, I bring nothing. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me yours. And I can't do that. Only you can. If you haven't done that, would you let me or one of these men that are going to be up here show you how to do that? We would love to do that so that you can have a life. And if you're here this morning and you've struggled with the weight of guilt and sin and that you and God aren't good, stop looking at yourself. Stop judging based on what you have done and judge based on what he has done. The slate has been wiped clean. We're gonna sing a song and I'm gonna stand here. There's gonna be some other godly men up here. And if you need to pray about anything that I've talked about or anything else, you would come kneel at these steps would love to just hug you, love to pray with you, love to talk with you. It's not an embarrassing thing to come up here, man. I've been, I've been walking, I've been doing this a million times. Almost every week we should all be down here kneeling because we're desperate for the grace of God. So if you need to come, I want to encourage you to come. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and we just ask that you would give us the strength of heart.